There is 90 balls here, 90 play balls. They're presented all here in these three cages, okay? Just get a good look at it. I'm not Vanna White. I can't go or like that. I can't present them as well as she can, but just see that, okay? And then as you see that they're all varieties of different kind of play balls, the 90 represent everything that God has given us. Amen? All right, so everything you have, work with me now, has been given to you by God. Amen? All right, so when you sign a document and God has allowed you to have a house or a car or any kind of boat or hunting or any kind of playtime with whatever you want to buy, God gives you and I, us, the ability to be able to have that. That's a, the grace of God. And so sometimes we might spend more than we have, but we still have them. Amen? And then God sometimes allows us to have them so he could teach us a lesson when we spend too much. Amen? amen. Oh, yes, y'all didn't get, get me with the amen there. Okay. All right. So here's 90 play balls. And this is, I'm going to lift this up. This represents 100 of what God has given you and I. Okay, we got that. All God wants, though, he's just asking for, on the low end from the scriptures, very clear, a command, just a simple command. He said, just give me back 10. Just give me back 10. That's all I'm asking. Some of us are still struggling with, wait a minute, Lord, but you gave me the 100. Thank you. Do I have to give you back 10? Because you own everything. So can I have the hundred and you can enjoy yourself with everything? God's saying, that could work, but I want you in on something. I want you in on the fact that I called you for a purpose. I called you to a relationship with me. That's what God is saying. And he's called you and I to a relationship with him. He just wants us to have a little buy-in. So he's just saying, hey, just put in Nine of the 90. That's all I want. All I want is nine of the 90. Okay? So all he's saying is just put in there. That's all he's asking. I'm even going to move the table so y'all can really see it. Okay? You see? Everything else is yours. All he's asking is you to give him that much. That's it. He's not asking for any more on the bottom line. But some of us are still struggling with giving him that because God's called us. It's not a suggestion. It's not, well, if you want to, he's commanding it. God's commanding I'm not commanding it. Pastoral team's not commanding it. Nobody from the staff's commanding it. God's saying, just give nine. Now, as we think about that, we have to think about what, what does that mean? I mean, could, could I just live on 10%? Well, let me just share a story with you. There was an individual by the name of R.J. Letourneau. He gave 90% of what he had and lived on the 10. Some of us would think, wow, that's insane. How could I do that? Now, I'll be honest with you. Even that to me sounds a little bit too far. But I want to share a story with you. It says, if you have ever been a part of a church fundraising campaign, you'd like, you've liked, likely heard of the name of R.G. Letourneau. His story of giving is like stuff of capital campaigns are made of. However, the story of why he and his wife, Evelyn, chose to give away 90% of their wealth 
And the life-changing decision that prompted it is rarely told. Letourneau was one of the most unlikely leaders of the 20th century industry. From humble beginnings and a seventh grade education, he taught himself engineering and eventually built a manufacturing empire. His earth-moving machines helped in, in World War II and construct the highway infrastructure of the modern America. By the end of his life, he held 299 patents. He also had become one of the leading spokesmen in the lay-led faith and work movement. A decision to give away 90% of his personal income and stock in the company was a result of a previous decision made when he was 30 and deeply in debt to make God his business partner. He said, chastised by his missionary sister to get serious about serving God, Letourneau was confused. Like most people, he believed that sincere dedication to God required that he become a preacher, an evangelist, or a missionary. But he attended a revival meeting at church and gave in, thinking he was ahead in the mission field. He sought guidance from his pastor. After praying together for his pastor, said, you know, brother Letourneau, God needs businessmen as well as preachers and missionaries. Letourneau replied, all right, if that's what God wants me to be, I'll try to be his businessman. And he did. He got real serious. And he said, why would God want to use a sorry specimen as a partner? What an amazing, humble heart. And when financial success came years later, he believed that made him a debtor to God as well as his fellow man. He realized his life was not about him. It was about the kingdom. And I just want us to be encouraged to saying that God has called us for that purpose and purpose alone. And I think that that's where we have to see where God so desires for us. What comes first? What comes first? Is what we get of the 100% come first? The 100%? Or does God call us to first do this, give the 10? Did God say anything about what he gave us to keep it? Doesn't say anything in the scripture. Everything in the scripture we see, he talks about first. First things first. What goes to God? Because that's the first step. So what comes first? And we just want to talk about what does that mean and why is it so challenging for us as a people of God to figure what is that particular thing? What's the roadblock? So I said, what are roadblocks to our giving? What are our roadblocks from giving God the 10 that he so rightfully deserves? I mean, it's all his anyway, right? Amen? Can you guys, I mean, would, I mean, that's a heart set that says it's all his anyway, right? So it's all his. So giving a 10 is, is okay. I mean, because that's what God's called us to do. So it's a heart posture. But what are these roadblocks that we often get? Well, you're going to look with me to Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, a very common passage. And I just want to talk about some roadblocks. One is this, questioning our value, questioning our value. See, you might think, well, wait a minute, is that a roadblock to giving? It could be. I'll tell you why, because Jesus was confronting some of the folks around him. He's talking to his disciples and all around him. This was obviously, as we understand from Matthew chapter 5 through 7, 
is, is a, a, pro, a process where God was saying that, hey, I, I want to use my son to talk to the people of Jerusalem and about the importance and the dedication of sitting forth before their people and talking to them in a big crowd and talking to them about what's important. So we start here at Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And here were people where they're living day by day, making sure they would have their food and their drink and their clothing. Most were poor. Most didn't have money. Most were living moment by moment. And they had to have their livestock because there was an agricultural uh, spot there. And so they were working through that process. And he goes on, he says this, he says, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So he's talking about food and drink and clothing. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he goes on, verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. To whom I've created, Jesus is saying, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? Are you not more value than they? And so he's showing that they're questioning their value. They're wondering. They're worrying. In fact, that word anxious is six times in this passage. So Jesus is hitting. He understands what they're going through. At the Sermon of the Mount, he's talking to them, and he's saying, I understand what you're going through. I'm the son of God. I created you, and I understand what you're going with all your thoughts and all your struggles and everything that you're wondering and worrying about. And here, he was trying to challenge them to go to a new level and see how important that was for them to understand. So whichever level we are financially, we have to determine, are we going to live in freedom or are we going to live in fear? Because it doesn't matter. I mean, you hear of millionaires who are broke. It doesn't make sense to me. If I had a million dollars in my hand, I don't hope that I would be broke. I would hope I would live within my budget. But it doesn't matter wherever you are. If you and I don't know, if we don't know how to live at a budget level, it doesn't matter how much money we have. We're going to struggle. And so the challenge comes where Ultimately, we have to question our value. You have to question, why did God create us? What was the purpose of it? Did he create us? Are we greater than? Are we more superior than the animals? Well, I think we do. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, this is what he says. And, and, And Moses is writing. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image. There's value there. There's dignity, there's respect. God created each one of us from all different nations and ethnic backgrounds. And he says, after our likeness. So God created us after his likeness. So there's value there. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over the cre- every creepy thing that creeps on the earth, even the spiders and everything that goes around with snakes and how, ooh, ooh. I mean, God created, we have dominion over them. So when you see a snake like me, don't go crazy like me. We have dominion over that snake. My son picked up a snake three, four foot long. I was really proud of him because I'm, I'm about as scared as it gets. And he picked it up and he's like, I got this. He has dominion over it. I'm not there yet. I'm working on that. I'm like, God, give me the faith to be able to pick up a snake. But God has given us that place 
where we have that value. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We have value. But sometimes we forget that we're created by God for a purpose. Some who don't even know that they've been created by God for a purpose. You know that he created us for a purpose to know him and to love him. And God blessed them and it said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and other every living thing that moves on the earth. So God has given us value and he created us to have relationship with him. And as he created us to have relationship with him, he did that so we could reveal his character through Christ. So we could reflect his glory through Christ and represent him to the world. So everything we have, we understand when we think of money and the things that we have, it's value. We look at it as a value, a dollar sign. Well, how do you view your life when you see that God's given you everything to steward, to care for, to manage? I mean, he's given us to represent him to the world. There's value in what he, but sometimes we question it. Sometimes we wonder why are we here. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we have low self-esteem. Sometimes people are beating us up and we take the emotional and it hurts and it's painful. But God reminds us that we're valuable to him. He created us. Do you know that each one of us have an opportunity to worship God and find that our value is in who he, he gave us in his son and that he's conforming us to the image of Christ? And as he does, we find value, even if the world is against us, even if the world wants to beat us up, because at this time with coming out of COVID or still in COVID, I still don't know where we're at, that it's still tough because people are more frustrated, more angry, more apt to, to take things out on you, more of a struggle today. And young people and adults are struggling with value. God says, you don't have to question your value with me. You're more valuable than the birds of the air. I'll take care of you. I promise I would. I've already given my son. I'll give him as well. Number two, here's another roadblock. Worrying about the things we can't control. Worrying about the things we can't control. How often do we worry and know we can't control them? It says this, in Matthew 6, 27, 28, by which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Actually, in the Greek, it says it really means a single cubit of height. So how many of us can actually help ourselves grow? How many of us would like for us to get taller? How many of us are not growing tall anymore? We're just growing this way, okay? I mean, you know, it just, it just seems I saw some pictures on Facebook, of some old friends from high school. I'm like, dang, man, he got big. You know what I mean? It's like I, I actually felt thin around him. So I was like, wow, I don't look so bad. But it's like, why? Because we're just growing this way. We, can't, we can control this. We just can't control this, right? Y'all with me? Yeah, yeah, you know that, right? I'm not trying to put because I'm putting myself up there. But how many of us worry about that? Some of us even devalue whether we're shorter or taller, whether we're thinner or we're a little bit heavier. God, we worry about things we can't control. And Jesus is just making that very clear to these people. In verse 28, and why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. God's doing it. God's in control. He's sovereign. He controls all things. We 
can't control where we were born, we, when we were born, who our parents are, time, weather. We can't control change. We can't control how people look at us. We can't control whether people truly genuinely love us or not. The rising and the setting of the sun, we don't control. The orbiting around the earth, we don't control. Your DNA, you can't control. Diseases, we can't control. We just went through that, and we're still going through that. The government, the economy, our past, the death, we can't control these things, but yet we worry about them all day long. Come on now. Help me out there, shepherd. Come on. We can't. We can't control them. Most what we worry about, 90% of it, we can't control it. But we worry about it. We live all around thinking, how can worrying is sin? Do we know that? Do we understand that? That the Bible's clear. It says it's sin. But we still worry. Because we can't control it. We can't wrap our hands around it and maneuver it the way we want to. We say to God, I'm trusting you right now. So, you know, I still need to be in control. We struggle with giving. I need to be in control with my spouse. I need to be in control with my child. I need to be in control of my budget. I need to be in control of my monies. Sometimes, are, sometimes in our life, there's even unbudgeted line items that get the best of us, right? When something breaks down, that's when we need to trust the Lord. That's when we need to trust the Lord. So God's given us everything we can, and we try to be good stewards, but sometimes even things happen. In our lives. Oh, there was many stories in seminary, Joy and I. Uh, there was one particular one I'll never forget. She's an occupational therapist, and my wife would work part-time as I was working full-time and going to seminary. And we had a house, a small house in the Dallas area, and my wife came up to me and said, I need to get some, um, some teaching, some additional teaching. I need to get a SIP-certified for my job, and I know I don't work enough hours to cover it, but I need to get it in order to do this at work. I said, okay, how much? And I said, like, how much? She, and she told me how much. I'm like, oh my gosh, we don't have that money. And we started to argue a lot because we just didn't have the money. And you can accuse me for not trusting the Lord, but yes, probably so, because I'm like, here's our budget, and this is what you're asking, and, we, and she knew we didn't have it. So we sat there and we argued and we prayed and we argued. And I went to one of some of my counselors and said, I don't know what to do. And I didn't want to ask family members. And I didn't want to ask friends. We were just praying. And then we're sitting in our house with some friends and voila, God sends a hailstorm on our house. Voila, my mother sends us money out of the blue. I didn't even expect it coming. Voila, there was some government that God, the government sent us some money. Voila, all of a sudden we had so much money, I didn't know what to do with it. It was, it was so much added to our budget. But let me tell you something we didn't stop doing. We didn't stop giving. We didn't stop, we didn't stop giving. We didn't stop giving. I didn't take from my giving and saying I got to pay for this because it wouldn't have been enough anyway. But I'm just telling you, it could have been within a couple of months. We didn't stop giving. All of a sudden, God took an unbudgeted item and he took care of it. Because we trusted him. But we were worrying about it, concerned about it, consumed about it. We wanted to control. And God said, no, let me handle that. You just keep seeking me. And we did. But it's tough and it's a struggle. Number three, a roadblock to giving could be doubting. Doubting God's provision for our basic needs. Just doubting God. 
saying, how can God do this? This doesn't make sense. Because again, we try to control it. We want to make sense of it. We want to kind of lay out a plan and try to figure it out intellectually and saying, this doesn't make sense. God, can we talk? Because I, I, I got to counsel you through this one. This one's not working. I know you're God, but I think you made a mistake. And I'm going to show you that you made a mistake, even though you created me. I know you're the creator, but look, I'm going to show you that I even know more than you do. Watch, Lord. God's like, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead, tell me your great plan. Well, and then we go through all the plan, and God's like, okay, stop. Let me ask you a question. Have you sought me this morning? Well, you know, Lord, oh, man, Dak, you got me, Lord. I didn't even talk to you today. Right. We doubt because our eyes are not on Jesus. They're on how much we can figure everything out. Jesus said it this, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And let's think about Solomon for just a minute, just, just to think about it. First of all, Solomon built a house in 1 Kings chapter 7, 1 and 2. He built a house and it was 11,000 square foot four and a half stories high, a huge house, huge. And today I looked up most celebrities, that's on the smaller end of 11,000 square foot, but most would have that over millions of dollars of property and housing. And it's anywhere between 10,000 to 20,000 square foot. The celebrities have homes, but here God gave Solomon just a house that they built for 11,000 square foot. But how did he get this? First Kings chapter three, nine, God said, what would you ask of anything? What would you ask? And, and, and this is what Solomon said. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? He could have asked for riches, wealth, but he didn't. He asked for God's wisdom to lead his people. And God simply said, I will give you also, because you asked of this, what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So he did. We know he didn't turn out the way he should have, but he did. And he gained much wisdom. Let me share some of Solomon's wisdom. You guys want to know some of Solomon's wisdom? Or it's in Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, 10 through 12. And it says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. <laughs> you ever feel that way? Nor he who loves wealth with his income, there is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them in his eyes, with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Let me break it down to you. It's really simple like this, okay? The more you have, the more you want. That's principle number one. That's what Solomon's saying. The more you have, the more you want. He says this, okay? The more you have, the less you are satisfied with, right? Right? The more you have, the less, because, you know, the flesh is a hungry animal, wants more all the time, never satisfied. Here's this. The more you have, the more people want from you. 
You ever try that? You know, you know, we know lotteries and people who are rich, they're always looking. And people who are rich know, okay, why is this person being nice to me now? What do they want? And that's something we all have to be careful with because, remember, money was the, the top subject that Jesus spoke about more than anything else in the scriptures. And sometimes the more we have, the more people want. Lastly, the more you have, the more you'll worry about. Isn't that true? How many of us worry about having a good cell phone? Raise your hand. Come on, guys. Be honest. How many? What's that? What? Yeah, I know. I know. You always tout that, too. That's a joke between Courtney and I. Every time she sends a text message, everybody could put love, like, emphasize. Then what I do is I put love and then I copy and paste. And, I, and then someone one time said, you got an iPhone? I'm like, no, nah, I just, just played it like I did. I wanted to play a trick on you guys because I got an Android and that's all. I, and they kill me with that. John, where are you at? John Watham. Brother, we got the Androids, right? Is John here? That's all we got. All right. So, so. But the more we have, the more you will worry about. It's very clear. Even look at what in Haggai, I mean, it was clear. Solomon had his wisdom, but not even Haggai. It says, so are you satisfied about how, how you, that you have holes in your pockets? This is what Haggai, and Haggai said, he says, now, therefore, thus the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, God said to his people, and harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never get your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. Isn't that interesting to what Jesus said? The Lord said himself, Yahweh, Jesus is curious, speaking the same message from the Old Testament to the New. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. So see, these roadblocks are, we have and we want more. We have and we worry about that we don't have enough. And see, we have this hundred and we think it's ours. And it's not. It's God's. So God's called us to steward it, to manage it, not to call it our own. If you're bought with a price... It starts with the heart. God changes the heart. Then he changes our mind toward what we have. Because it's not ours. It's his. How many times I've heard people say, welcome to God's home. Okay, it's okay. Have my car. It's, it's yours. It's, it's really not mine. It's God's to give to you. But how often all of us, we're guilty. We look at and say, all these cards, I'm guilty. We say, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. God's saying, wait a minute, last time I checked, I thought it was mine. Sorry, Lord. Sorry. Here we go. And see, God's trying to, because we'll have holes in our pockets. Why? Because we're spending for ourselves. See, I want to encourage you, and I'm not trying to pick on any of you, but I'm going to tell you something. If you have the hundred and you're not even giving God one, just one of these, Beautiful dodgeballs. Well, you too can have a nice dodgeball. I mean, it's like, you know, this one of these balls, if you're not even giving one to God, I challenge you. Spend some time with the Lord and tell me what he says to you after you ask him, should I give or not? Because we know the answer is. It's been commanded of us. So if you bear the name of Christ and you call yourself Christian, I challenge you. I don't say it in pride. I challenge you. Encourage you. Where's your heart posture? 
because we all need to give to the Lord, not just our money, but our time and our talents. Last, let me just say this. There's a resolution for giving. God made it very clear. It's very simple. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God and his kingdom first. It's very simple. That's why Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, a very common passage here at the end. I'm going to read it to you. It says, therefore, do not be anxious. Six times he's saying it. I'm sorry, five, because six is coming. He's saying, what you shall we eat or shall we drink or what shall we wear? Again, he's keeping with the eating, the drinking, and the clothing. He says, for the Gentiles seek this, meaning those who don't know me, those who don't have a relationship with me are seeking after these things. And your heavenly father knows. That word knows is so important. That means God already knows what you're going through, that you need them all. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Meaning what you eat, what you drink, what you need to clothe. God said, I've got that. I know what you're going through. I know you. You're mine. I got you. All I need you to do is put your eyes on me. Seek me. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Twice, he says it. Sufficient for the day and it's, is its own trouble. Amen? Yeah, amen. So, so it's really simple. What is that first that word? What is he saying? Seek means, that word seek means to devote serious effort to realize one's desire or objective. Strive for, aim. So are we striving? Are we desiring? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? That's what God is calling each one of us to do. It's in a present active imperative. Everything, our time, our talent, and our money, all of it inclusive. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek. What is, what is the kingdom of God? Well, let me just read something to you. It says, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. And Jesus needed to come to earth as 100% God, 100% man, the deity of Christ. He came to die as a substitutionary atonement. Christ will reign on earth for a millennial period of 1,000 years following Satan's judgment. And he will be bound for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20. The kingdom of God begins in the heart of the believer. King Jesus rules and reigns in the heart of the believer. Luke 17, 21. The already, the not yet, the not yet he will ultimately reign on earth for a thousand years. And in the new heavens and new earth, following the judgment upon Satan, the unbelievers at the great white throne judgment. Therefore, the kingdom of God is the proclamation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So how do we proclaim the gospel? Through the local church. Through the local church. He's established this. I didn't. Pastor Dennis, did you establish this church? No. Uh, Jack Sub, did you establish church? Matt Duransky, did you establish this church? Any of us as leaders? No. God established this through the Pentecost, Acts chapter 1. That's the church age. We're in the church age. We believe God will come, return through Jesus, and reign here on earth. And so that's the gospel. That's the kingdom of God. We need to focus on it. We need to realize that it's through the local church that God has saved people to use their gifts, their spiritual gifts, their talents, and to give. So we can be an entity, a local entity to reach the community for those who are lost and far away from God. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to do what we're supposed to do and hear about what we want in our preferences. God's called us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus wherever we go. And it can't happen through us as the leaders. 
It's got to happen through each of us because he's given us spiritual gifts for his purpose. That's what he's called us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about the past. It's not about our prerogatives. It's not what could have, should have, or, or would have been. It kills our personal lives when we think that way in the life of the church. He's never called us to drive looking through the rearview mirror. We're supposed to look through the windshield. Amen? So we got to move forward to proclaim the gospel. God wants to know, what is he doing today? What are you and I doing for the kingdom today? Not what we did 30, 40 years ago, but what are we doing today? That's a deep passion for me. How is God working in your life today? Because he's still alive, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's ruling in our hearts. I hope he is. Because that's what he's calling us to do. He set this up. It's his church. It's his word. It's his message. He's called us to it. So we can't live what we did yesterday. Yesterday. Ooh. Yesterday. Ooh. I mean, that's what's going through our mind. What about yesterday? I can't remember yesterday. I'm, I'm at an age now where I can't remember. Don't get me started. Do you remember? Okay. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Lastly, set God first in your heart. Let me just share this because we know Proverbs 3, 5, and 10, but we know 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your straight straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now watch this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. All your produce. Right here. First fruits. That's just 10, 23% in the Old Testament, by the way, with offerings tithing and offerings. 23% God expects of us in the Old Testament. And he goes, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. See, that's what he's called us to. Seek and set our hearts first with God. We have this video for you. It's not a couple from our church, but they are brother and sister in Christ. And just want to share with you um, just what happened to them and how God changed them and, and transformed them. Early in my life, uh, I grew up in a Catholic church, and so um, I had that exposure to Christ. But as my, my parents um, divorced when I was younger, uh, Christ was kind of removed from our home. Um, so I spent a lot of years, probably about 20 years of my life, um, knowing who he is but not having a relationship with Christ. For me personally, um, even prior to ever meeting my wife, is. I was very bad with money, and money was my God. It was what I lived to do, it's what I lived to spend, um, and I loved it. And so when we went through the discipleship and they talked about obedience, um, that was something we went home, I think, within that week, and we made a decision and uh, said that we are going to be obedient and we're going to see because it's one of the few times in the Bible God tells us to test him 
and uh, that honestly gave me a little fear. And I said I wasn't I wasn't obedient. I could be obedient everywhere else, but this is the one spot that God said test me. And so, you know, with our family being a large family, five children, I'm a sole income of the home. Um, it was scary, but we did it, and we talked about it. And uh, you know, I, I would say this: I know a lot of people have had hard times through 2020. Um, we weren't excluded for that. I took a 50% pay cut for part of the year, and we still continued our tithing. And I, I would say when it says it gives it back to you tenfold, it has. Uh, we've had just random bonuses. I've gotten a pay raise at the end of this year. Brittany started a business, and that's been blessed to, to start bringing in extra income. And we've just, we've just seen the obedience pay off. And I know that may not be everybody's story right away, but that's how God's blessed us. The monetary thing for me has just been the, like God's writing on the wall. Like I, for me, it was money for my whole life, from my working moment. Like I love money, and giving up 10% every time I get paid with a family our size was very scary. But we've we've got a second car that we never have this last year. Um, as I mentioned, I got a raise. My wife started a business, and we've done all that being obedient every week. I mean, it's literally the first thing I do before my feet hit the floor. I get paid, I go on our app, I give, and it sets me free. Like, I feel good to get up and go the rest of that day or week or two weeks with that money. So did you notice what he said at the end? It sets me free. He said at the beginning, I was afraid. And that makes sense. I understand. Each one of us, when it comes to money, people get funny. But when it comes to money, we do, we do get afraid. We become afraid. And God's called us to, to test him. Because when we don't give the 10%, when we don't give, we're robbing him. I mean, it's very clear in Malachi. I'll read it to you. It says, God said, you cursed, you're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. He's talking to his people. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. We hear numerous, numerous, thousands upon thousands of testimonies, and yet we're still afraid. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour for you out a blessing until there is no more needed or need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. Meaning I'll remove every little creepy little animal that could take away your plants. I will command them out because he can do that. I will bless you, the Lord says. Listen to the story. All those blessings. He said he took a half, 50% cut, and still God opened up new doors for him. See, when we trust God in faith, he'll open up new doors. When we hold on in fear, we just keep living in our same status quo. God's like, I want you to trust me. Don't rob me. Trust me. Test me. And he goes on. He says this. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be the land of delight, says the Lord. Meaning you'll be a witness of me. That's what God's saying. That's, that's what we're supposed to be. God's called us to be a witness of him. 
So I want to encourage you. Let's not rob God. Let's at least put a tenth in the storehouse to honor him. I want to encourage you. As we started last week, if you haven't made a commitment to the 90-day challenge, I challenge you to do so. Trust the Lord. What comes first? He comes first. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Always a challenging message, but a needed message. In, in our today's world, many are living in debt. Many need to be realigned in their hearts, the posture of the heart surrendered to you. Your people are to be a witness to the world, yet most Christians are living in debt. Your people are to be a light to the world, yet most Christians are not even giving. (laughs) They say 2.5% of Christians today are giving on a regular basis. It's usually that 80-20, 20% take care of 80% of the ministry. Lord, it's gotta stop. We're robbing you. We're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is yours. It's all yours. Everything that we have is yours. May we change our posture towards you and challenge us today, we pray. As we leave this building today, may we be challenged. Holy Spirit, convict us as you need to in the name of Jesus. We love you. We surrender our lives to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.